Cannonballs, we're back. It's the podcast where we dive right into the literary canon so that you don't even have to get your feet wet. I'm Gemma Kaneko here with Ben Cosman. Hi, Ben. Hi, Gemma. How are you? I'm okay. Are you eating right now? Are you eating dinner? Uh, well, I'm eating strawberry shortcake for dinner, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Adulthood is great. It is, yes. Uh, the other person you hear laughing is Hillary Rich, who's back to join us on our literary odyssey, um, which is a pun because we're still reading Ulysses. <laughs> it's so Hi, I like Hillary. It. Hi. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's why you're on, so that you can tell me you like my dumb, bad jokes. <laughs> I feel like with this book, we all need to remind each other that we are still clever. At least that's what I need. Validation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially when we're reading this book where it seems like no one could ever be as clever as James Joyce. Um, I had written in my notes, like, what a weird jerk. All right, but we're we're here. In the last episode, we kind of talked more about the concept of Ulysses than the book itself. But now we're really going to talk about the book and what happened. So we're going to jump back into our structure that we usually do for these kinds of books that even still is kind of hard to fit for Ulysses, which is way more about the experience of reading Ulysses than the actual plot of Ulysses, but nonetheless, we're going to try to clarify that for you a bit. So um, I narrowed it down the char- for characters to care about. We normally summarize who those people are for you. Um, there are only three characters that, to me, are really genuinely important in this book. Like There are a lot of recurring characters that come and go, but only three characters that really ground the novel, and that's Stephen Dedalus, who is sort of the Telemachus equivalent of this book, even though he's not the actual son of the Ulysses equivalent. Um, and he's also James Joyce's avatar as a person. He he's from he's also in his novel a portrait of the artist as a as a young man. He's young. He's uh, very smart. He's really obsessed with mothers. Anyway, that's Stephen Dedalus. There's Leo Bloom, who is the Odysseus figure of the book, and he is married to Molly Bloom, the Penelope figure. Leo Bloom has a lot of thoughts. He's Jewish. He's extremely average, but also extremely uh, empathetic. Molly Bloom is a concert soprano and lies in bed all day. And we really have, yeah, we only have to have (laughs) one scene with her through 600 pages of this book so far. Yep. It's a lot of, it's a lot of Leo just thinking about his wife. Yeah. Everyone seems to be talking about her too. Like everyone knows her. Everyone talks about her. Yeah. Everyone knows her. Not flattering ways either. Well, she's kind of famous, but also kind of famously lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's great for, you know, if I was going to be famous for something, being like just chill and lazy, you know, not not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Um, All right. So now I'm going to do a two-minute plot summary. I'm going to try to keep it to two minutes because for the purpose of this episode, we read sections one and two, which takes us to about page 616 in the um, my the international edition, James Joyce corrected Ulysses. Um, it, it so that's a lot. That's that's more than two thirds the book. Uh, so that's that's where we are. So I'm going to try to summarize really quick what happens just in terms of time, in terms of what people think. Since this book is so internal, you're not going to get that from me. You're going to get it when we talk about it later and other themes. Okay, are you guys ready? I'm, I'm ready. I can't wait to see you do this. Here I'm excited. Right here we go. All right. Here it goes. Okay, so we're in Dublin. We meet Stephen Dedalus, who lives in a tower with Buck Mulligan and an annoying English dude named Haynes. Stephen then goes to teach a history class where he meets this older man named Mr. DC, who gives him a letter to try to get published in a newspaper. He walks along the beach. Okay, now it's time for Leo Bloom. We go back in time to the morning, so all this stuff is happening at the same time as Stephen is doing his stuff. Uh, Leo makes breakfast for his wife, Molly, and he goes to the butcher to get a kidney because he likes to eat kidneys. And then he goes to this guy's funeral with a bunch of other guys, and then they all think about death and how sad and horrible it is and also sort of like sexy in context of the grave and some people are mean to bloom he's jewish and that's kind of why uh then he goes to the newspaper to try to get an ad to run for a little bit longer Stephen dedalus is also there to try to get dc's letter letter published dedalus goes to the pub and bloom wanders around thinking about how molly's probably having an affair with this guy so he sees the guy and then goes into a museum to avoid him now we're back to Stephen. he's in the national library he talks about hamlet for a really long time buck mulligan is also there and he talks about jerking off and also how bloom is probably gay then a lot of different characters do a lot of different things in the city of dublin and it's very beautiful and poetic then Daedalus is at the pub with Buck Mulligan. Bloom is having lunch with his friend. And the guy that Molly might be having sex with is driving to her house. 
Then we see Bloom from an outsider's perspective, um, a kind of nationalistic, racist outsider. And we get the sense that he's sort of a pedant and he doesn't drink and people resent him. Then Bloom goes to the beach where there are three women just kind of hanging out. And uh, one of them knows that Bloom thinks she's hot. So she shows off her legs and he jerks off on the beach, kind of, but not like completely openly jerking off. And then there are fireworks and he comes. Um, and then there's this really strange moment where everyone's thinking about things and Daedalus and Bloom are in the same place and they're talking about medicine and everyone's drinking, but not really Bloom. And then Bloom and Steven go to a brothel and there are a lot of hallucinations. The cops come, they have to get rid of them. And also that entire section is a play. I'm done. That was a minute and 59 seconds. I'm impressed. Uh, well done. I also All think right. this is the All first right. plot summary on this podcast that includes the phrase, he comes and there are fireworks. <laughs> well, it's, it's what true. Happens. Yeah, no, that's it, what it happens. happens. Yeah, yeah. So that actually takes us from about eight o'clock in the morning to much later in the evening because they do the section that we we did read ends with the cops getting kind of trick talked into leaving them alone in at the brothel or and outside mm. of the. It's like what, like at. midnight, one a.m. Uh, so that's by the end of this chapter. Yeah, so that's what it is. It's been a long yeah. day. Um, and uh, it's been a long day. Bloom's still <laughs> just trying to get home. Where he's been kind of avoiding because he doesn't want to know if like, Molly's I know having an affair with, with this guy. All day, but how was he killed? Like sixteen hours. Yeah, he went it, to a funeral. <laughs> but it ended pretty early. I don't know, like what he did all afternoon. Yeah, like he just sort of restaurant hopped. It seemed like. Was he listening to that <laughs> bar music for six hours? I mean, he also went to the National Museum. And he's there for a while, like trying to look <laughs> yeah. at books. He ogled some statues. Yeah, um, just like. Thinking about ladies. <laughs> I think my problem is like, I can't figure out how much time has ever passed because how much space or how many pages Joyce devotes to a section does not necessarily correspond at all to much, how much time it actually took. Yeah. So I'm consistently surprised this is all one day, but at yeah, the same it's, time, it's very totally little possible happened. to figure out, but yet somehow it's quite late. You know, it's when you're drinking it, uh, time flies and hanging out with prostitutes. Um, so yeah. let's talk about something very simple first, which is this book is called Ulysses. It is intended to parallel the Odyssey. So in your reading of it, how does it do that? Um, this is something I was expecting the parallels to be more obvious, I think. Um, just because if you know one thing about Ulysses, you know that it's A, hard to read, and then B, that it's... Uh, supposed to not parody but sort of play off the odyssey um i mean i get the idea of sort of drifting and wandering uh from place to place and bloom also um there's a helplessness to bloom that i think is very similar to odysseus in the odyssey where it seems like he's not in control of his own fate Uh um i don't necessarily know who's in control of his fate in ulysses maybe blazes (laughs) boiling i don't know (laughs) he kind of he like Bloom thinks of Boylan, the way he thinks of Boylan reminds me of the way Odysseus thought of the gods in the Odyssey, where it's like this resigned resentment of they're going to do whatever they're going to do, and I just have to suffer the consequences. So who is Boylan again? Can you tell us? Oh, so Boylan is the man that Bloom believes uh, is having an affair with his wife, Molly. Do you? Th- and he's the man he sees... I think he sees him once or twice throughout the day as Boylan is making his way to Bloom's house to ostensibly have the affair with Molly. Do you think that they're having an affair? Does it matter? Uh, I don't I, I don't think it matters. I think Bloom thinks he they're having an affair. That is really interesting to consider it as as this external thing that's happening is his equivalent of the gods. Hillary, did you find anything explicitly that reminded you of the Odyssey? Uh, and what did that tell you if you did? So I had a really hard time because sort of like Ben, I was expecting it to be a lot more obvious who was supposed to be whom in it. Um, so beyond just like the very straightforward, you know, Bloom's Ulysses, um, Telemachus is Stephen and Molly's Penelope. Not being able to place who the gods were in this was very confusing for me. Um, the only other ones that I got were a little more like, like the Cyclops chapter as, um, the, the citizen. Yeah. That was the really, most obvious um, anti-Semitic. Yeah. Yes. But beyond that, I had a really hard time 
figuring out who sort of paired up with whom, especially because I think sometimes it shifts throughout because the, and even in the citizen chapter, like the narrator I thought was the one who was supposed to be the Cyclops because all of a sudden it's in first person. And so I thought, Oh, maybe that's like the myopic narrator. And that's like sort of a, you know, metaphorical Cyclops, but then the citizen also was the Cyclops. So I've, I've been really struggling to tee up the characters appropriately. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's definitely not a one-to-one ever. It's not a straight adaptation. There, Sometimes it's more conceptually the Odyssey than it is obvious. Um, mm-hmm. I think the probably the best example of that is this the chapter where Stephen is just expounding on his Hamlet theory for a while. Um, and Buck Mulligan is also around. Um, that is the Scylla and Charybdis chapter. And the way we know that, or we don't really like know, know it at once, I it helps that I've read this before, I think, is that it's just constantly, one, it's in order of how those things go when Ulysses tells it, and or when Odysseus tells it in Odyssey. And that's something I was thinking about more than when I read it the first time. Like, what's the actual order that he tells these stories? Um, and also the concept there is duality. It's, it's the, 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 what the deal is with Anne Hathaway is she this or that, uh, the theory relies on a lot of one or the other kinds of things. So it's not actually anything that Bloom does in that chapter that he has to like make those choices. It's definitely more of like an airy conception of it, I think. Um, and like you said, Hillary, Molly is Penelope, but she's also just a random nymph sort of at the beginning. Um, she might as well be Calypso, right? Where she's there mm-hmm. and he's just helping her out, do all these things. She has breakfast in bed and he makes everything for her. And then is like, I guess it's cool that you're putting this dude's letter under your pillow, even <laughs> though I'm your husband. <laughs> I, yeah, I do. Well, I think Molly is almost one of the most obvious, like her connection to Penelope is one of the most obvious in the book to me, I think, just as this, the concept of uh, the wife who is either going to be faithful or uh, unfaithful to her husband, who is, you know, either 20 years late coming back from the Trojan War or, you know, went out for the day in Dublin and hasn't come back (laughs) past midnight. Um, But I, I, and I do think it's interesting that in the Odyssey, we see Penelope a lot more frequently than we see Molly and Ulysses. Mm -hmm. And so most of, all the action, all of Molly's action so far is just what Bloom is imagining. So I think it's interesting that, because I don't remember, when we, I mean, we just read, finished the Odyssey, but Odysseus didn't really, we didn't get much of in, his internal worry about what Penelope was doing. Never. He did not spend any time thinking about what she was doing. Right, whereas Bloom, it keeps coming up. Like, that's all he's thinking about all day. Yeah, I think it's an interesting comparison because obviously the, the one-to-one that's the easiest is to say that Bloom is definitely Odysseus, right? And Odysseus in the Odyssey is um, a complicated man, uh, but also a, a thinker. He's a witty man. That's that's sort of his great virtue is that he's so smart. And Bloom is also a man of the mind, or at least in the way that this book is presented to us, because it's so internal. Uh, And his great virtue is the depth of which he thinks about things, even though he may not be a very effective person, as we kind of learn from the citizen chapter. I mean, Mm -hmm. because he lives in a place where people are kind of terrible to him all the time. Yes, I I do think that that is one big difference is that everyone loves Odysseus in the Odyssey, Everyone seems to hate Bloom in this <laughs> yeah. book. Like, I think that's the Citizen chapter is my fa- one of my favorites because I think that's at least when I felt the most sympathetic to Bloom because it's the first time we see him outside of his perspective, and people are just mean to him. And you know, he's he's kind of boring and like he's he seems very pedantic from the outside perspective. But that just made me it endeared him to me, kind of. Um, yeah, I like that, Hillary. What's your favorite of the episodes that of the of the tales sort of that we've been given? Oof, that's hard. I also really liked the citizen chapter, although only I don't know if I felt I felt sympathetic towards Bloom, but I didn't necessarily like him more. Uh-huh. Um, I really liked the chapter with um, with all the girls on the beach and Gertie. Um, Ooh, I. 
I don't know. Like I did not see that. It was like such an abrupt shift. I feel like we've been stuck in Steven and Bloom's head all day. And then all of a sudden we're getting these characters that I actually like can understand a little more. And like, there's some plot happening. Um, and I really loved like Bloom's like kind of ruminations on it afterwards about how, you know, he had this image of Gertie and that was like what was true at the time. And then he discovered that he was wrong and how that like suddenly became the truth to him too. I thought that was sort of an interesting twist. I love that you love that chapter the most because you also liked reading the court cases and that's the chapter that started a lot of the court cases. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's obscenity. I'm going to ban that. Yeah, I was actually <laughs> yeah, reading no more, it. Uh, uh, off. I was uh, reading it outside the Supreme Court actually this week. Um, and I was like, I get it. I get why this was, uh, this was controversial. This is making sense to me. Uh, interesting. Well, I hope uh, that one day you are, I don't know, I, don't, I have no idea if this is anything that you want, but if you want to be on the court of literature, I would support that nomination. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's talk about that a little bit because the styles of both of those chapters are really, really different. Um, and I think one of my favorite chapters is when he goes to the newspaper and it's all in little headline chunks um, that every section of the chapter is there's like ominous for him and then like <laughs> raising the wind, return of bloom. And there are all these really dramatic little sections Um that are very short, but are still t- telling the story along. And the the style choice of making it like those newspaper briefs to me is really exciting and fun and pace wise changes things up a lot. Um, uh, so all three of our, our chapters have very different styles. Um, ben, can you tell us a little bit more about the Cyclops and slash, slash citizen chapter um, and the style? Yeah. So it starts, I think this is also one of the first chapters we get where it's not um, from Stephen or Bloom's internal perspective. Yeah. And we shift and we have like no introduction. All of a sudden we're just placed into the mind of, um, I don't re- I didn't really get a strong vibe of the narrator. He just seemed like a guy who, the kind of guy who hangs out in Dublin bars all day um, and hangs out with, you know, make Ireland great again, folks. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it is very, I mean, it felt, um, grittier than some of the other book or other chapters, just because I think the narrator and the other characters around that, cause we don't see Bloom until halfway, at least through the chapter. I think he just comes into the bar where the other characters happen to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a very, uh, angry, unfriendly dog in the chapter. <laughs> Uh, named Gary, I think. You I think love right. unfriendly dogs, as we learned I, from the Wuthering Heights episode. I do. A lot of, <laughs> I'm big on attack dogs in, <laughs> in great literature. Um, but yeah, the, so the idea of getting outside, uh, getting a portrait of Bloom that feels, a, it felt more objective. This chapter felt more objective to me than others. Because we do get some internal rumination from our narrator, but not, it's certainly not as deep as Bloom or Stevens uh, inner monologue. And I think that's on purpose to emphasize just how much we've been inside their heads. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And I think that you're right. And it's very smart to suddenly shift and shape the world differently to, to see what is real and what is subjective in that way. The, the ending also has, I think most, some of the most action in the book up to this point until the end, and so we well, the end of what we read has some action because Stephen gets into a fight. But the end of this chapter has, you know, Bloom insults the citizen, um, and the citizen and like basically the Bloom and the yeah, I think Bloom insults the citizen by saying Jesus was a Jew essentially, okay. and that pisses yeah. the citizen off. And Bloom hops onto um, uh, a car- a carriage or a car or something with. Um, Someone he was hanging out at the funeral. I can't remember who, another character. Uh, and as he's riding away, he starts talking more trash to the citizen. The citizen throws, um, he throws something at Bloom. I can't remember what exactly he throws. But it's sort of like this getaway scene, and it's very much Odysseus fleeing the uh, the Cyclops in the Odyssey. But it's uh-huh. it, that was the most action scene where Bloom you know, comes into some sort of physical danger has, and has to flee. Uh, and that's how the chapter ends, which is uh, it was an, the most excitement we've had in a while in this book. 
for sure. Uh, but I feel like that like plot excitement action story is also different, Hillary, from what you liked so much about the Nausicaa episode on the beach with the fireworks and the like subtle sexiness of it. I guess it's a little bit flowery, but y- why was that so appealing to you? And stylistically, like, what did that change mean from the rest of the story up until then? Uh, I really liked sort of kind of what Ben was talking about about seeing Bloom objectively. I really liked getting like someone else's perspective on him and as a stranger too, because Mm -hmm. we're stuck up until the citizen chapter in his own head. We don't know what he looks like to other people. Um, And then all of a sudden we get these women who have also a totally different perspective on him Mm -hmm. than everyone else we've talked to so far. And so in a way I thought it was really interesting and a cool chapter because I sort of like finished it almost knowing less about him than before because it's really hard to reconcile all these perspectives on this man. Um, and I thought, I thought that was really interesting. I also, I, I liked the style more. I got the impression that Joyce was sort of making fun of this kind of writing. Um, cause it is like a little overblown mm-hmm. at the beginning, but that's more like my classic comfort zone, like that kind of prose. <laughs> um, and I don't know, like the action was like a lot more, subtle in some ways but I don't know even like the scene where he's like you know kind of masturbating like it took me a minute or a couple of pages to figure out that's what was actually happening and it almost <laughs> to me like parallels like how it would feel like you actually saw someone masturbating in public like what's going on like wait that that can't be what's happening that really <laughs> is happening right now um and I appreciated it as a reader I also felt like I was sort of experiencing that same like confusion and realization uh going through the pages so I, I really enjoyed that chapter, but I like the citizen one as well. Although I only really felt sympathetic towards Bloom at the end of it. I thought he came across as kind of unlikable at the beginning because they're just trying to like drink and have a good time. And he's being such a downer. <laughs> Is that the chapter or no, I think it's later in the chapter or a later chapter where Bloom starts pontificating on what happens to uh, corpses and getting erections after they're yes, hands. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that was that uh, but yeah, I was like, come on, man, read the room. But that's the kind of tangents that Bloom goes on, which I just I think is so funny to me. <laughs> Well, what's incredible is we've been with him in his head for so long, and then we're there, and we're like, oh, but you also just say this stuff out loud. (laughs) You were at the funeral kind of thinking about it, and now here you are out with people just saying this to them. Uh, But, Hillary, I think it's interesting what you said about um, the beach episode being objective, because it is, so it's, the beginning is from outside of Bloom's perspective. Mm -hmm. But then I read, when I was reading... um, uh, some notes on the book as I was reading along is that I think there's a Joyce quote where he says the entire chapter actually takes place in Bloom's head. And what we're <sighs> reading is Bloom imagining the, what the girl thinks about him, which I, which I don't know what? if I agree with that reading, but I think it's really interesting is that a, the idea of Bloom, I was kind of surprised that Bloom is the kind of guy who does just jerk off on public beaches. Yeah, that was a <laughs> But Because if, if he is that kind of guy, then he's also the kind of guy that it makes sense um, that we would get so much of his masturbatory fantasy as lead up to him jerking off. Um, I mean, he is constantly wandering around just being like, what if this woman walks into a cab and then I can see her leg? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm at this butcher shop. I hope that she doesn't leave fast so that I can follow her around and watch her ass. Uh, it's really funny because I, I just so I just finished reading Lightning Rods by Helen DeWitt, which is a mm-hmm. contemporary novel. But that book, uh, it is basically it's very satirical. I described it as uh, a modest proposal for sexual harassment in the workplace essentially. Um, Uh But that whole book starts with the main character's very extensive, very drawn out uh, masturbatory fantasy, which sets the entire plot of the book in motion, which very much reminded me of this chapter and the idea Uh of uh, Bloom also being the kind of guy who starts this um, needless, uh, really craven company to try to combat sexual harassment in the workplace is just I recommend uh, it was a it was a good parallel to uh, to draw. All right, 
Interesting. Um, I do actually want to talk more about women, but maybe we'll do it in the next episode once we get to the end because um, we'll have a little bit more information about Molly. Uh, we did talk about women's role in the Odyssey, and I think it would be interesting to compare it to their role here, especially if those if Gertie, that's the woman with the leg on the beach, if uh, that close perspective is actually just what Bloom has decided she's thinking. Also, did I read this right? And that Gertie is the citizen's granddaughter? I thought I read something where they both mentioned like she thought about the dog, like her grandfather's dog. But I may have I may have just got confused in one of the many confusing things about this book. Right. So, okay. well, let's talk about that briefly. What was the hardest part of these two sections for you to make it through? Oh, um, I would say and I really I ended up loving this chapter, but the beginning of the chapter where they're just talking and drinking in the maternity hospital. Yeah, it's really hard. Which basically starts starts as old English, like Chaucer English. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very dense. You don't really know who's like, all. basically all of, a bunch of former characters that we've been hanging out with and all of Stephen's friends. I don't know why they're hanging out and drinking in the maternity hospital, but then Bloom, shows, Bloom shows up because he wants to check in on um, uh, Mrs. Purfoy, Purfoy, I think um because she's been in labor for a while and she finally has the kid but it it, yeah the the style uh the language starts really dense and then gradually gets better and then almost ends incoherently but um it's just them talking for a while and it it was really hard to get a grasp on who was speaking what they were talking about what was going on uh, until the language started to become clear yeah i agree uh, Hillary, is there, was there a part that was particularly challenging for you? Um, so at the beginning of that chapter, I definitely agree with. I also have really mixed feelings about the chapter that's a play. Um, because parts of it I really, really enjoyed. Um, I think one of the characters even has a quote that I liked where it says, like, I'm very fond of what I like. And I agree. Like, there's, like, the parts of it I really did enjoy. But I started to get frustrated because I felt like up until this point in the book, it's been sort of like honest about how some people think. And then it suddenly like the, the re- hallucinations or fantasies that they were having to me just like went way too far to a point where like I couldn't follow it. And then it seemed like no time had passed. Like there's not enough time to think all that stuff before like the next action <laughs> happened. And so that was just like really jarring for me. And I thought the parts that I would have enjoyed more sort of got lost for me because I was just trying to keep track of what was actually real and what wasn't and where we were. So why do we think, because this this particular chapter, I would say is the second most famous chapter in this book. Um, the, fir- this, the first we haven't read yet, but the second. Um, and I, I, like, I went to theater school, which I'm sure you all really care about, but sometimes people would try to stage this and I, I but I don't think that's, the intention of it. I don't think it's intended to be staged and a lot of people figure that out as they try to do it. But why do we think this was a play? Why? Cause we can cut you, Ben, you kind of pointed out that um, in the chapter, the maternity word chapter, it goes from old English to a modern style and, and sort of into a even, I can't postmodern is its own thing, but like into its own joycey and ramble at the end, which for whatever reason, that's intentional to trace the journey of English literature in that chapter. But why, why a play? Um, yeah, I thought about this too, because I really had a really hard time placing the action in this section. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was the point. I almost, I appreciated that once I, I, I gave into it pretty f- quickly thinking that this was, you know, sort of Ulysses distilled and just sort of its incoherence and, um, magnitude of everything it's throwing at you. And, you know, just mm-hmm. the idea of surrendering to not really, to just experiencing the, uh, chaos of the chapter. I, right. I think it's a play because it's really, um, I think it's hard to say it's more character focused than the others, but I, I don't think it'd be hard to get the fantasies um, because so much of the chapter is fantasy based. And it's the idea that Bloom is imagining himself in all these different scenarios. And you can kind of imagine like, you can kind of see it as, him imagining himself in all these different productions of his own life. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fascinating mm. way to think about it. Is that it's a, such a such a produced fantasy that it becomes right. theater. It is a, it, Bloom's fantasies are very theatrical. Like there's one where he basically becomes president of the world, I think. <laughs> yeah. And then also one where he's super into BDSM, and it it goes all over the place. It really does go all over the place. And I uh, recently read Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi. Um, historical fiction and a good part of it takes place in a French whorehouse where there's a miniature theater in the whorehouse so people can enact their various fantasies of having sex in a theater but also like then other whores have to do the play like they want it to be so real that it's almost impossible to remember that it's a fantasy uh, so I, I like attaching that conversation saying like in his head it's so real that it it becomes he becomes the director of it in a way that it's almost like meant to be consumed by other people. Yeah, I don't think the fantasies would have been as realized if they were just, you know, Bloom's internal monologue, like earlier chapters. Right. And also they get to become a lot stranger in the way that theater sort of gets to do as well. Like the demon barber is just <laughs> there or like Edward the seventh. Okay. If he's imagining it, I maybe has less of the less of it's very present for him. So they get to have their own character mm-hmm. headline um, about it. So I feel like, I think I have more patience with the chapter with that perspective, but I still have a couple of issues. Like for, I think part of my problem was I was imagining it like a play. And Gemma, like you've said, Mm -hmm. it can't really be produced that way. So I was getting frustrated even with some of like the stage directions. Like you can't have a character speaking who never entered. Like it's not, it's not how plays work. Um, (laughs) But I guess then if that's what, like if that's what Joyce was trying to do to sort of allow um, Bloom's fantasies to really be like unleashed and not even like hindered by typical prose, I wish that the action that had actually been happening was written in a different style because I really struggled to differentiate where the fantasy stopped and started. Yeah, I can see that. I also wonder if it has a lot to do with like who is intoxicated or not Mm -hmm. and how much of it is like, how much of it does Bloom think is happening and then realizes it's not happening and then, oh wait, this thing with the cops really did happen? It does feel very much like the end of that chapter feels very much like a sobering moment where you all of a sudden you realize like, oh mm-hmm. shit, like three hours have passed. I got to get home now. I'm dealing with the cops <laughs> in a whorehouse. Is that really what I'm trying to do on a weeknight? Um, but something I've been struggling with throughout this book in terms of the style is how much the style is in service of something. Okay. Versus just Joyce you know, having fun with style. Like, I'm not saying it's not purposeful. And like, there's clearly like, I think we, you know, we just talked about the purpose behind the play chapter and the purpose behind the maternity ward chapter and the newspaper chapter. Um, like there's obvious reasons for doing it and everything, but what is, does it mean anything? Um, I mean, I guess it depends on specific examples because we talked about the medical ward chapter and he's definitely trying to do something stylistically there. And even on the beach by calling attention to certain kinds of writing that already exist. Do you mean like when he just makes sounds into words, like things like that? No, I'm, I'm talking about what I'm well, both like, I'm just, I don't know. I struggle with how much is style just for style's sake. Um, what, like, like when not, would not that be? That, like the play chapter. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think there's clearly reasons why he did it, but how much of it is, you know, I want to do this crazy style piece and then, you know, backing on the meaning, like its purpose after that. Like so much of it seems like he started with this idea of this would be cool to do craft-wise and then the meaning is almost secondary. That almost doesn't bother me um, if that is, in fact, the way that it came about. But I'm thinking of a chapter later in the book, um, which we'll talk about in the next episode. But sometimes I feel like, I I don't know, knowing what we know about Bloom, which is that he's extremely confident in his own genius. Like, he thought he was a genius, and we can agree or disagree, but he really thought that, right? So whether or not that means he has things that are intentional, I 
as somebody who writes, and I know Ben that you also write, Hillary. I don't, I don't know how you do if you do, but um, sometimes writer's block is just a thing that is happening, and you're like, what am I going to do with it? And shifting radically, shifting style can kind of help you find something. I don't know. That's true for me. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I, I, I guess I'm fine with that, and I also think sort of the flip side of that is I do appreciate this stylistically different chapters for readers block, which I think is a real thing with this mm-hmm. book where they, if you know, if the entire first 600 pages was just the same sort of narration over and over again, this would have be even more brutal to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering how much of it, like how much of the style is in service of some larger meaning of the work, because so much of the chapters are these, so far do seem very self enclosed almost in terms of the point, their point, um, like their points all stand alone to me. I keep waiting for them to co- to cohere into something larger. Are you ready for a really annoying take about that? I am. <laughs> <laughs> so Bloom and Stephen are both sort of just wandering around the world, Dublin, um, and the world as as it were trying to decide what deserves meaning and what doesn't. So maybe mm. this is the macro scale version. Like if we want to decide that the reason he wrote it as a play was to make reality seem so real that it is too real, like theater can sometimes be like so crisp and produced or hallucinatory, like that's cool, but we don't have to assign meaning to it. And if each chapter has its own separate meaning, like the reader uh, themselves is is left up to making those choices and much in the way they're the two main characters are i i like that that is good i appreciate that <laughs> because <laughs> and i well i think because one of the problems i've had reading this is that i want to find meaning in everything mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i feel like be, partially because of the book's reputation and partially because if you're going to read a book like this um you have to kind of do that work and look for that meaning. Um, I do. I think I, you know, uh, I am very sympathetic to the, to the idea that it is a exercise in itself of the futility of doing that, of that search. I knew you would like futility. I knew it would appeal to you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Always Ben's theme. I, I had read something like a critique of uh, Ulysses that talked about uh, or hypothesized that one of the reasons for all the different styles was to show that any mechanism for communicating information is sort of like inherently limited by like its own perspective sort of. So in each each chapter or each different style, you know, you think you're getting a version of the truth, but you're not necessarily sure what that is because it's already being filtered just by whatever style it even is. And so the whole book is supposed to be sort of um, like that as a, as a message on whole, like you, there's different facets of, of the truth or reality. And you can't even trust the, like the, the mechanism by which it's communicated. Mm. I don't know if I agree with that enough, but it definitely, when I got frustrated with that 200 page play that wasn't really a play made me feel a little more tolerant. I, I do like that idea. I just, I don't think, cause the very stylistic chapters are definitely in the minority so far. I think, I think the majority of the chapters have been, you know, I mean, they're certainly they're stylistically Joyce, so they're not traditional uh, literature, mm-hmm. but they're still, they're similar where it's just internal monologue um, and straight narration. And they aren't, like functionally different. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I do too. And I like that these interpretations are ones that we kind of have to trust ourselves to put faith into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. I feel like we've had a pretty reasonable discussion of the first two parts of this book, um, considering how ridiculous they are. <laughs> Um, so now it's time for us to play some games. We're bringing them back. The games are back, everyone. I know everyone's really excited about that. Um, so what's going to happen is I'm going to roll a six-sided die, and depending on what I roll, we will play one of six games. And those games will either be Would You Rather, 
uh, to pitch the Bad Gritty reboot, which I kind of hope someone gets because what would it even be? Um, <laughs> three, Who Goes Nazi? Four, Share Your Favorite Fanfic. Less fanfic out here for this book than I thought there would be. Um, five, Favorite Passage, if you have one. Um, and six, Tell Us the Most Mundane Thing You Thought About Today in the Style of Ulysses. I liked that game. Oh, that is fun. Yeah. Uh, so you have to wreck your brains. Um, Hillary, would you like to go first? Oh, please. All right, great. I'm rolling for you. You got one. Would you rather? So, Ben, take a second. Think of a good would you rather for Hillary, and I'm going to ask you one while Ben is thinking. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, would you rather be Leo Bloom's weird secret erotic pen pal or have to eat a kidney for breakfast every day? Oh, the pen pal. <laughs> I I don't think we'll get to see her, but I am so interested in who this woman is and this weird, like, early version of, like, the misconnections on Craigslist. I'm so invested in her. So, I want to know what's going on in her life. What's her name? Martha? Is it, though? Because yeah. he's using a different name. He uses a bunch of names, I think. Oh, yeah. Henry Flower. That's his fake name. Oh, yeah, name which is he... super clever. Yeah. My, my conspiracy theory is that it's Molly. <laughs> Oh, it's, Pina, it's the Pina Colada song? Yeah. <laughs> so he's just writing dirty letters to this strange woman, and it's actually Molly. I love that. If that's the end, I'll take back all my complaints about this book. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so romantic. It would be very romantic. Uh, ben, do you have one for Hillary? Uh, I do. Um, all right, Hillary, would you rather be sitting on a beach watching Leo Bloom jerk off to you <laughs> or uh, be set up and go on a date with the citizen. Oh, oh, that's so hard. Um, that's a really hard one, Ben. That's a, that's a really, I guess a really good would you rather. Um, you know, I think, I think I'm going to take the, the beach masturbation. <laughs> um, that's a really, that's a rough call, but I, I just had like, even just reading it, you know, being able to like put it down and walk away. I had such little patience with the citizen and he's just so unlikable. And yeah. I'm not sure just like of everything politically that's going on right now, I wouldn't just use that day as an opportunity to just like unleash everything I'm feeling about just like the state of the world and like his attitudes in general. So I don't think that would go well. So yeah, I think I'll take the masturbation because he's like, it's weird, but he doesn't like approach her or anything. Yeah, you can keep him at a safe distance. <laughs> yeah, like I guess. It's I mean, not, not ideal, but I'll take that over the date. Wow. Take it over the date. I mean, you could do the same thing and just like yell and back out of the pub and like throw rock. I could, but I mean, that guy, like he throws things back. So <laughs> <laughs> True, 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 true. Um, all right, Ben, are you ready for your game? I am ready. Okay, let's see what you're going to get. You got a six. Tell us the most mundane thing you thought about today. Oh, man. Uh, all of my mundane thoughts. Uh, I mean, maybe not about corpse erections. I don't know. <laughs> it was not. You know, I thought about corpse erections for a little bit today. But <laughs> it was pretty exciting, honestly. Um, <laughs> that? I, had a, I had a very mundane... Uh, thought today where um i was trying to use you know those uh aerosol duster cans things i was like doing keyboards? that today too uh i was trying to do that to my phone because i thought my um headphone jack and the the power charging hole were filled with lint from my uh pockets so uh -huh. i was trying to blow it out and i was trying to see if it was work but i couldn't really get it to fit and then i started to think about how um the charging actually works and the headphone jack actually works. Um, it was very mundane when I was bored at work today. Um, you didn't get any classical illusions in there. Didn't make you think about sex or death, which are the things that you can think about in Bloom's Dublin. Uh, no, I started thinking about, you know, my the headphone jack and my phone, how I don't listen to podcasts anymore and how it's like Odysseus stuffing his ears with wax to avoid the sirens. Cause I'm avoiding knowledge and I don't want to be stuck forever on an Island and, Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> so you're also a lotus eater. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow. Wow. That's I got them all in. You really did. You just got, you got all the illusions in there. I'm very proud. All right. Time for me to roll for myself. 
try not to roll on an inclined plane because I had to chase after yours. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, just threw it. I just threw it. But it's a four. Share your favorite fanfic. Oh, no. That makes me nervous, actually. Um, so I went looking for this because I was actually curious because I do think that there is um, a lot of that. There's always room for fanfic. I think it's a great, fun, creative thing for people to do and like to jump off from writing. Um, but apparently there's a character named Ulysses in the Fallout video game franchise. Oh, interesting. So that really uh, that really kind of blurred the search for me. Um did not find anything as good as the Ikea sea. Um, but there is, I did, I mean, I did find, I mean, just a lot of people who ship Bloom and Daedalus. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, well, a lot of characters in this book constantly imply or just straight up say that Bloom is really gay. Um, maybe because they're jealous that he's married to Molly. But also people just say it a lot. And for some reason, a lot of fan fiction writers are like, but what if he and Steven can be gay together? Which I think is um, not not a totally crazy reading, but also I think their dynamic is more father-son-ish. Yeah. Do you have an opinion yeah. about that? Do you guys have an opinion about that? Uh, I mean, we've only seen them interact two chapters so far, even though they mm-hmm. didn't like they interact in the play, but it's incoherent until the end. Mm-hmm. I, but I do, I mean, Bloom saves... Daedalus from both the angry burger soldiers and the cops in a very uh-huh. fatherly way. So yeah, I, I get father son. Um, I do, I do think I'm, I've had to have a trouble getting a read on the gender and sexual politics of this book so far. Uh-huh. Um, like, I mean, there are, there's some like funny scenes in the play chapter where uh, one of the, uh, one of the prostitutes farts on bloom. <laughs> Which I was hoping there was a fanfic, extended fanfic about, but you know, I guess not. Yeah, no, not about that. Weirdly, not a lot of people writing about farts, except for James Joyce, who <laughs> does write about a lot of bowel situations. Yeah, he's he's really yeah. into bodily functions. I, I respect that. Yeah, I mean, in his letters to his own wife, um, he got pretty into that. So Really? Wow. Yeah. Kinky dude, James Joyce. He looks like a kinky dude. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, there's one other. There's one other sort of crossover, which is what if um, Ulysses, but also Sherlock Holmes. Ooh, that's what oh, I was reading. That's, yeah, that's yeah. similar to my idea for a bad gritty reboot. And I know I'm cheating by switching to a different one right now, but I really think the Bloom uh masturbating chapter could turn into a really great law and order svu chapter episode Uh, i was like wait are you about to pitch a porn (laughs) (laughs) no no, but you could uh i'm sure there are um no the idea of like the state uh stabler chasing down this beach masturbator (laughs) is uh would make for compelling television oh my gosh i want to see in that episode that'd be amazing (laughs) and then everyone just has very long extended monologues uh, throughout the episode <laughs> they should do this do you remember how when in school there were always like all those epi- all those tv shows that were like for some reason let's do an episode that's a bad adaptation of classical work of literature so high school teachers will show it to their kids in class when they're hungover or have to sub yes like why was there an episode of moonlighting that was just the mer- not the merchant of venice um uh taming of the shrew why why did that ever <laughs> exist I feel like there was a Romeo and Juliet skins episode, like, but it's also like the character falls asleep in class and they have this hallucination is just the episode. Wow. Yeah. Did you guys not have to watch things like this anyway? um, Yes, there should be one of of Ulysses just for kicks. Yeah, I would watch that. Procedural. I support it because everyone's doing crimes, weird public sex crimes. Yeah, everybody's a deviant in this book. <laughs> you know what? Good for them. Uh, so that was that's that's the first uh, two parts of a book full of deviants, Ulysses. I thought that we were going to be a lot more stressed out talking about it, but it turns out it's it's doing all right. Uh, do you feel encouraged going into part three and the final part? I'm encouraged by our conversations. They've made this experience better. I think I'd be flailing if I was reading this alone. Yeah, I think this is a book that you have to read with other people for the for the support and the encouragement. And I mean, two thirds done. I feel 
I feel proud just for that. Although we have the last chapter, which is like, what, a 80-page paragraph? Um, well, we got but it's exciting. Though. The second to last chapter is also really great. Um, I, I love reading it with you guys. I really do, because reading it alone, uh, I took a lot of notes that kind of descend into madness. Nice, <laughs> um, nice. So it's really great to be able to talk about it with other people and to discuss things in a little bit of deeper detail than with myself. Um, so I'm excited to get into the last part where we can then talk about weird textual things like giant pieces of punctuation. Ooh, can we? Oh, okay. It'll be very, very exciting. Everyone get ready for some really intense full stops. Um, <laughs> so we'll finish the book in the next episode and it'll all be great. Everyone feel good about that? I feel great. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. If you all have any feelings about um, your own deviant stuff, you want to talk about your mundane thoughts or, um, you know, farting while trams drive by, you can tweet at us at CanonBallsPod. That's C-A-N-O-N Balls with a Z pod. Uh, same handle on Instagram. We are here to tweet weird quotes at you from Ulysses and to talk to you about books. And it's been lovely. And we'll see you in two weeks. very embarrassing however i am reading ulysses so therefore as we have learned that made me very cool (laughs) to to certain people (laughs) well this was our first episode of ulysses hillary thank you so much for jumping into this wide wide ocean of insanity with us no thank you i probably would not read this book unless i had this as like the kick in the pants so i'm glad i'm getting the experience (laughs) ben uh thanks for making us all do this Uh, A pleasure as always. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we will talk more about what actually happens in Ulysses. We'll go through about the first half-ish of the book, uh, and we'll we'll bring back Die of Death where we get to play games and talk about what's going to happen to characters, though really it only happens in the course of one day. So, and maybe we'll find some Ulysses fanfic. Will that be a nightmare? Probably, but why not find it anyway? Uh, Thank you for listening to Cannonballs. As always, you can tweet at us at Cannonballs. That's uh, C-A-N-O-N, balls with a Z, pod on Twitter, or find us on Instagram. Uh, Tell us all your thoughts and feelings about Ulysses, preferably in the most coherent thoughts that you can. And we'll see you soon.